uh, sometimes just to kind of give you guys a little peek into, into how I, I prepare these sermons, you know, um, I don't always know, you know, uh, a few days prior to, uh, to coming in here, what I'm going to talk about, you know, and, um, I kind of always have my ears perked up, you know, when I'm in church or, or, um, uh, doing a family uh, a study of the Bible with my family. And um, just what I think I'm going to pick, I don't always wind up coming out with that, you know, and I had text David uh, a couple of days ago and asked him what he thought about, you know, a passage. And uh, he's like, it sounds great. You know, we should, we should definitely do that. And when I'm preparing, I'll go through and I, I like to read the book, you know, a few times over and I'll read, you know, if it's a second letter or something, I'll read the first letter and, as I was going and, you know, sometimes the way it works is God just kind of, he just kind of takes what I'm originally thinking. And he, he's like, nah, look, how about this? How about this right here? You know? And that's what happened today. That, uh, that's what, that's what happened, you know, just a couple of days ago. So um, what I was originally going to preach was the thorn in the side, you know, the, the, the thorn in the flesh of Paul. Um, but I'm deciding to do something a little bit different. So um, we're going to go, we're going to go with that direction. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is forgiveness. And, um, you know, it's a, I'm sure it's a topic that you've all heard preached many times and it's, it's, it's a basic, you know, um, principle of the Christian faith and, um, it's difficult. It's difficult sometimes. And I want to look at an instance that happened with the Corinthian church here. So, uh, Paul's letter to the second letter to the Corinthians, what well, our passage today is going to be in chapter two, second Corinthians chapter two. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. But before I, I get into that, I, I do want to just kind of explain the context. So this is the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. The first one was um, Paul wrote heartbroken. And, and he is a shattered man when he, when he writes this first letter to the Corinthians. This church is a church that he himself had planted. And he knew these people. And he had gotten reports. Uh, through um, a messenger that was a couple messengers that were sent to him uh, from a house uh, by of a woman whose name was Chloe, had sent these messengers to him to tell him, uh, Paul, the, we have some really bad things going on in the church. There are people that are slandering you and that are even calling into question his his uh, authority as an apostle. And there had been sin that had crept into the church, heinous, horrible, horrible sin. Um, and that's actually going to be this, the, the, the sinful situation that's happening in this church is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, in the, in chapter five in first Corinthians, uh, Paul brings up, uh, that there is a, that there is one among them in the church body that was in the middle of an incestuous relationship. He was with a family member and keep in mind guys that this is, uh, these folks are living in Corinth. Corinth is like the Las Vegas of the, of the old world. This is a horrible, pagan, wicked place where wicked things are going on all the time. For someone to be in the church of Jesus Christ and to be committing the sin of incest, even the pagans would have punished one that, did, that was doing something so wicked. And these people in Corinth were not addressing this man or his sin. It's a big, big, big topic. So Paul, in his first letter, tells them, you need to get this guy out of your church. They, Paul actually even says that I myself have delivered this one over to Satan. He, we need to get him out, excommunicate him, get him out of the church body. But here, 
he receives uh, in, in between first Corinthians and second Corinthians, Paul receives um, a word that this man has been gotten rid of. They got rid of him. They kicked him out of the church. And Paul says something very strange here. Very, very strange here. So what I want to do is I'm, I'm going to read this to you and then uh, we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, and talk about it a little bit. So second Corinthians chapter two, verse five. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow, not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, I also, I wrote so that I might put you all to the test, whether you are obedient in all things, but one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So that's a big shift. When we look at this, what he's writing about to these people is to forgive this one who has committed this horrible, horrible sin. Well, it says, let's look at, let's look at, uh, at, at verse five. It says, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow, not to me, but in some degree in order to not say too much to all of you. Uh, what Paul is saying is that, um, is that they accepted. <sighs> okay. So. So this, this is, gets a little confusing because Paul originally told them to get rid of them, right? Now they've gotten rid of them and there's sorrow in the church. There's sorrow, many different reasons for sorrow. Sorrow for having to get rid of somebody who thought was your brother. Sorrow for the man who had been gotten rid of. And Paul is actually saying here that, um, that uh, it was proper that they excommunicated him. In the very next verse, it says... For such a one, this punishment was, was well-deserved. Let me read it right here. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. You got rid of them for a good reason, right? And we would all agree with that. We would all agree that, yeah, you probably, if somebody is involved in that kind of sin, you probably don't want uh, him in your church anymore. But in verse 7, it says, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That gives us indication that the guy is very, very, very broken over his sin. He's broken over the thing that he was doing. He's broken over the fact that they kicked him out of the church and that he's no longer allowed to fellowship with him. And Paul is telling them that if he's repentant, if this man is truly broken over his sin, you reaffirm your love for him. Bring him back to the congregation. Bring him back to communion that the punishment has served its proper, um, in, it, well, it's served its proper function. You know, the guy is, is, is repentant and now he's, uh, and now he's uh, repenting from it. Um, but he's urging them to forgive him. And, and it's, it's weird because why they didn't want to get rid of him in the first place, right? They held on to him, even though they knew that he was committing this sin. And now they have to be urged to forgive him. They don't want to forgive him necessarily. These people are very arrogant. They're very puffed up. A lot of problems in the Corinthian church. And now Paul is actually saying to, to, to forgive him. He's aware that he's penitent uh, and that he's remorseful. 
but it says here, look, look at a, look at verse, um, look at verse, uh, nine. It's going to say why he wrote this for to this end. Also, I wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things, obedient, obedient to forgive this man who committed this sin. We're going to get back to that. We're going to get back to that. It's very, 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 very important. And then I'll read verses 10 and 11 one more time and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what have I, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. So what I have here written down is four reasons why Paul would want this man forgiven. Why Paul, why, why, these, why these people are even commanded to forgive this man? Why would God ask that? Now, if, if somebody had committed a heinous act like that, that wouldn't be somebody that would be so quick just to let back, you know, into the congregation of people. And, and we're talking about an extremely sinful situation here, right? Um, but, there, but there's four reasons. The first reason why is because the man was repentant. He was full of sorrow. And it wouldn't be proper to add sorrow upon sorrow. If the man is truly sorry for what he did and has cast off the the incestuous relationship and wants to be brought back in as a believer in Christ, that would be the first reason to forgive him. The second reason is that uh, they obeyed Paul in casting the man out. And Paul wanted to make sure that they were going to be obedient to the call to let him back in. That would be reason two. Uh, to uh, to obey uh, or to to forgive the man. Um, number three, Paul himself forgives him, right? He, we read, just read that in verse ten, right? He says um, that I I forgive um, whoever you forgive, I forgive also, right? And if I've forgiven anything, it is for your sakes that I have forgiven him. So he's worried about the church having too much sorrow as well, right? If the man is repentant, let him back. And number four is that so Satan would gain no advantage that by not forgiving him and not bringing him back in, according to the call would give Satan an advantage over lots of different people. I mean, Satan doesn't need a whole lot of footholds, you know, to, to, to gain the advantage over somebody. I mean, i just wrote down a, a few possibilities uh, that, that could have been here. Um, Satan could have gained uh, too much of a foothold with the man who was repentant, who wouldn't be let back in to the church. That man might go so far in his sorrow to do something to himself or, or whatever. I mean, he was thinking about the man who was repentant. Um, another way that Satan could use this as a foothold was that the people who are, are watching the church might say, man, those guys are too harsh. Like we have a guy over here who's broken and who's crying over his sin and, is, and wants to come back and has done away with all of these things. And those guys are harsh. They won't even let that guy back. I mean, who is perfect? right? We've, we've all thought things like that. Um, Satan could use that as an advantage. But what I want to look at today and what I want for all of us to consider is the personal foothold on a personal level, the, the foothold that Satan gets when we do not forgive those who are repentant. What happens in the life of the believer who doesn't forgive? I mean, we can even actually look at this, what happens in the life of a, of a non-believer. In this particular instance, Paul was wanting this man to be restored. 
And I'm sure a lot of you guys have been in church for a long time and have seen, you know, church discipline on various levels get exercised. And the goal should always be, it should always be restoration. It should be the restoration of the brother, assuming that they are, or sister, that they, assuming that they are in Christ. We're always working for restoration, never for shaming for shame's sake or for excommunicating somebody just because we don't like them. It's always so that the person would repent and come back to the truth, right? That's what we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, but it's important to look at uh, this biblical view of forgiveness um, and, and what that, how that should play out and what that looks like. Sorry. In our, in our own lives. Um, Peter, Peter in Matthew chapter 18 comes up to, to Jesus and he asks him, if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him up to seven times? What does Jesus say to him? 70 times, 70 times 70. What he's saying is, is that the amount of forgiveness that I show to my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ is innumerable. If the person is repentant and this person is, is, is truly broken over their sin, I am commanded by the Lord to forgive this person and to bring them back in and to treat this person as a, as a member, as a person for whom Christ died, right? That's what Jesus is saying in that. So if this person is, 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 a, is a Christian, we are called to, uh, to come to, uh, to forgive them. So when Paul in our letter here is telling them, um, I'm looking to see if you're being obedient, not obedient to Paul, obedient to Christ, because that's what Christ taught that we are to forgive our brother or our sister who, um, um, wants to be brought back into the, to the faith. And look, Guys, when we're talking about, I mean, I realize this guy, this guy who committed this sin is really, really, really lucky that he committed it in Corinth. He's really lucky that he didn't commit it in Jerusalem. Because if he would have committed that sin in Jerusalem, the law there states that he would have had to have been taken out in the street and stoned. Okay? This was a heinous, heinous, heinous sin. And I am by no means here today, just understand what I'm saying. Should we accept criminal behavior? Um, if, if someone has committed a sin that is deserving of jail time, well then, you know, they should, people need to pay for the crimes that they commit. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, okay, we'll just openly forgive everybody who says they're sorry. That's not the point of this. The point is if someone is broken over their sin and they're begging for forgiveness from God and the church. And, you know, if someone has to go to prison, they have to go to prison. Guess what? They share the gospel there too, right? Uh, the word is preached there too. And that's why we do that. That's why we as Christians, why we go to the jails and to the prisons, to those who have committed crimes that they're paying for and giving them the gospel and giving them Christian fellowship. That's why we do those things. So I'm in no way saying we shouldn't, you know, um, deal with, with criminals in the, in the proper way. But when we look at this idea of church discipline and, and how to deal with someone who needs forgiveness, I actually think that there's more to what Paul is saying here, that, it, that we can actually look at this in a way he gives the why of forgiveness in this text. And um, I want all of us, I want to challenge all of us in here to how does our forgiveness look in light of what we know, in light of what we know about Christ? Do we, have we 
in the past or even the way we've acted today? Do we forgive properly? Do we have the right spirit of forgiveness? Because this world talks about forgiveness too. It says that it says some, some different things about it. I'm going to give a couple of them to you. Um, uh, well, first of all, the world is unforgiving, right? Like you mess up once, that's it. Hit the bricks. You're gone. You're out of here. Those boots were made for walking, right? Uh, get out of here. You know, um, that's a lot of, a lot of the way the world, uh, treats, you know, when someone, uh, sins against them or, or makes a mistake. Um, what about, what about this one? Have you heard this one? Uh, we can forgive, but what? We'll never forget. I'll never forget, you know, and in a sense, that's true, right? God did, God made us to remember things. God made us, uh, shame, uh, uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or shame on you. Oh, sorry. Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? I should have remembered the first time you fooled me. Second time's my fault. Um, and in a sense, that's true, right? In a sense, that is, that is true. What about this one? You need to learn how to forgive yourself. Yeah. Have you ever heard that one? That one's used a lot. I hear it a lot. I work with um, with a lot of with a lot of addicts. I work with guys who are caught up in alcohol addiction and drug addiction. That's that's kind of you know it's one of my one of my passions outside of this because that was me. You know that's that's the life kind of life that I used to live. But what I hear all the time is Eric. I just I don't know how to forgive myself for the things that I've done. I've done so many things and I cannot figure out how to forgive myself. Well, these are the way the world deals with forgiveness. These are the way that the world looks at forgiveness. And I want to, I want to, I want to bring up something to you. So, um, if the world teaches forgiveness, it's always the improper way. You realize that blood bought Christians are the only ones that really get close to how to forgive. Nobody else has the, nobody else has the foundation to forgive properly because forgiveness always has something to do with me when it comes to the world, which makes sense. It makes sense if I'm the most important thing to me. If I'm the world or the world revolves around me, forgiveness is always going to come attached with something that benefits me, right? Some of the things that I take, some of the, some of the kind of conversation, like if my wife and I are, are, having an argument or something, there's some things that I'll take from her that I won't take from somebody else, right? Because it behooves me to take that from my wife because I have to live with my wife, right? I might not take that from somebody else out on the street, but the, but the truth is, is that there is things my wife has said to me in the past that have hurt me. And there's things that she said to me where I, I don't forget real easily. You know, I naturally apart before I knew Christ, I was probably one of the most vengeful people that you ever met in your entire life. And I was like, it, talk about a foothold for Satan. I, my move was just wait until I find the right moment to put that back on you. That's what I did. And I would wait and I would wait and I would wait. And years later, here I am exacting out this revenge because I did not know how to forgive. I didn't know how to forgive. I, I had no sense of what that meant, Right. And, um, you know, uh, when the person is centered and they say something like, I just need to learn how to forgive myself. You know what that usually means in a worldly sense? I need to figure out how to make peace with my sins. I need to, to learn how to not be so mad at myself or not so guilty or not so whatever for the, for the things that I've done with absolutely no reason 
to ever absolve themselves of the sins that they've committed. No reason. They just want to figure out how to live with a little bit less shame, with a little bit less guilt. And that's not what we're called to do either. That is not how we forgive other people. I'm not the center of the world. That's the first problem, right? And if you think about it, think about the very first sin in the garden. What was, what was the sin in the garden originally? It was, I want to be like God. I want to determine what's good and what's not good. This was the sin originally. God said that is not good. They determined that it was okay, that it looked good for food. I'm going to eat it anyway. They wanted to be like God, knowing for themselves the difference between good and evil. And that not that what we do? Think about that. Think about how we're all wired naturally to be like God in our fallen state, okay, before knowing Christ. And it still creeps up from time to time. And anybody who says it doesn't in here, I'm going to pray for you, okay? But when we, when we talk about the, the, the heart and how it's set on itself, I can so easily, when someone sins against me, the wrath of God, right? Oh, I'm going to teach you. I'll shun you. I'll ignore you. I'm going to treat you like you're lower than scum for the next seven days. And maybe after a little bit of work from you, maybe I'll forgive you. Maybe if I feel like it, but don't mess over. Don't mess me over again. If you mess me over again, it's going to be right back to where we were. And it's going to be even worse as if somehow I am the standard and I will decide what the proper amount of repentance is, or I'll decide what the proper amount of forgiveness is going to be based on how I feel that day. Have you ever been rude to a waiter that's got your order wrong before? I said no onion on this. Well, pardon me, Queen of Sheba. The person made a mistake, but I'm not prepared to deal with that like the person made a mistake. They sinned against me. They did something wrong to me. I'm the sinner, right? Something happened that I didn't like. And that is the sin that we're talking about. The sin of, well, this person didn't make my bed right. This person didn't do this. I don't like the way that that person talked to me. I don't like, I don't, this, me, 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 with no forgiveness. I want everybody else to change because I'm being me, right? That's the natural condition that we find our hearts in, but that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not what Christ calls us to in the way that we live, in the way that we deal with people around us. Um, have you ever done something that you felt bad about? that you had to ask for forgiveness for? I'm sure you have. What did you desire in that moment more than anything? That that person would forgive you, right? That person would say, you know what? I know you did something. I know you did something wrong. and I forgive you for what you did. How many times have you done that for things worse than you, reasons that you won't forgive other people for? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? What are the things that I hold on to? What are the things that I hold on to that other people have done to me that I won't give the same forgiveness that I wish these other people would give me? Some people don't forgive you. Some people won't forgive you back. I have people like that in my life that don't forgive me. And I pray that one day they will, but we'll, we'll get down. We'll, we'll talk about that here um, in a, uh, in a little bit. I don't want to get too off the beaten path here. Um, but Paul in our text today 
gives the reason why we forgive. I'm going to read this one more time so we can all so we can all see this. In verse 10, it says, "But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, is for whose sake? For your sake. And I do so in the presence of Christ." You see, that's one thing the world doesn't quite get. The world doesn't understand that, but the Christian, the one who knows Jesus Christ, the one who has come in and forgiven this person for all they've done, they should understand the difference there, right? The difference is, is that I will, I will forgive you because man, I'm just so sick and tired of being mad at you. You know, the the world will say, you know what? Forgive them for you. Forgive them for your sake, right? Because not forgiving somebody only hurts you. And that's true. That is true. But to not do that is to completely miss why we would ever want to forgive somebody else. Um, um, The world thinks that forgiveness is about healing. But the Christian knows that forgiveness is about Christ. It's about love of Christ. Whenever whenever the, uh, the Pharisee is coming and he challenges Jesus and he says, teacher, teacher, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus' response is, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. And really what that is, is that's one through four of the, table, of the Ten Commandments. So really what he's saying is the greatest commandment is one through four, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Numbers five through ten. It's the whole law to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your mind and all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So why would I forgive? How should I forgive somebody? Because I love the Lord first with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. And because I love you. Guess who's not included in those two things? Me. I'm not included in that. Forgiveness, when you're giving to forgive, when you're showing someone forgiveness, Christ-like forgiveness, it's not about me. It's not about me. And actually the moment that Christ comes in and he saves you and he plucks you from your sin and he takes all that you've ever done against him. What, what's been done to me on this planet, there's been some bad things done to me from a little kid all the way into adulthood. It pales in comparison to what I've done to other people and more importantly, what I've done to God. How I've lived my life in complete rejection of God. The reason why I forgive today is because I have a sense of forgiveness from the one that, for, he's the only one where forgiveness truly matters first. Right? And when you understand this now, you understand forgiveness. Let's look and see. Okay, let's go back to our text here. This guy committed incest. That's just about as bad as it gets in terms of sin that you can think of, right? Well, let's look, let's look and see. I want to I read what Jesus says. Let's look at uh, Matthew 6, verse 14. Matthew 6, verse 14. It says, um, whoop, that's 514. I'm sorry. I got a little out of, I get a little out of order, but what you might let's, let's, let's go back to this. I'll, I'll get back to my text here in just a second. Sorry about that. Um, 
but what if the people that you need to forgive in your life, what if the people that you need to forgive in your life did something really, really, really bad to you? Really bad. And it's not just as easy as, um, there may not, may or may not be reconciliation after all this is said and done. Maybe the person in a, in a worldly sense doesn't necessarily deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness is, isn't, isn't about deserve. It's not about deserve, right? I could never forgive this person. If you claim to know Christ, that cannot be part of your thought process. That cannot be part of what you say. Because by definition, I didn't deserve God's grace. I didn't deserve God's forgiveness, right? I did nothing to deserve God's forgiveness. And guess what, guys? The, the people that you're upset with, as is, is, is bad as it gets, they don't deserve your forgiveness either. But yet we're still commanded to give it. Just like this man in our letter here. And I'm going to give you some examples for that. In verse, in a chapter, in a, the chapter six of Matthew, verse 14. I'm sorry, you know what? The first one, actually the best one to do is Luke 23, when Jesus is nailed to the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea that they are accomplices in crucifying the Lord of glory. And Jesus, with nails through his wrists and through his ankles, is bidding the Father to forgive them. To forgive these men that have done nothing but spit on him, mock him, drive nails through him, stab him, declothe him separate all of his clothes and are playing games in front of him. And his thoughts are, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. That's first example. Did those guys deserve forgiveness? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The same amount of forgiveness that I deserve, which is none. <laughs> but here, let's, let's look at what Jesus says about forgiving. In, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, if, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We are called to forgive as Christ forgives. Right? That's pretty clear. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 43. Verse 43, it says, you, shall, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Guys, we, if we're all being honest with ourselves in here, how often have we said, you know what, I'm going to treat that person like they treat me? How many times have we said to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to treat everybody like they treat me? If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're not nice to me, I won't be nice to you. If you do something that I don't like, you're dead to me. Right? How often have we lived like that? If we're really thinking about this, that's what Christ tells us exactly not to do. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. In the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why? For they will receive mercy. 
they'll receive mercy. We cannot forgive properly unless we have a sense of the forgiveness that comes down from heaven. We can't forgive properly. The unbelievers that are out there that claim, oh, well, I've forgiven him for that. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Not the way that they should. Not the way that they should. The people that say, you know what, that don't know Christ, that say, you know what, I've figured out a way to forgive myself for the things that I've done. No, they didn't. They made peace with their sin. They made peace. Well, did that, but can't go back on it now. Oh, well. Just figure out how to move on and try to not do it again. Like I said before, when when the addicts that come up to me and they say, I just, I, I don't know how to forgive myself. I don't know how to forgive myself. I need to learn how to forgive myself. No, you don't. That's what I'll tell them. No, you don't. You don't need to learn how to forgive yourself. No, God forbid you learn how to forgive yourself. You need to seek the one who forgives and it is only his forgiveness that matters. When you receive that, you'll have a sense of I am forgiven, right? When Jesus says that the son will make you free and you are free indeed, when we talk about freedom from slavery and freedom, we don't have to walk around with the weight of all of our sin on our shoulders anymore, walking around, always thinking about the things that I've done. And I get, I get like that sometimes I'll get little flashbacks. and like, man, I cannot believe that I did that. Bad things, guys, bad things. I, you know, you know, drug addicts and, and alcoholics are not known for their, for, for their, the good ways that they treat people. And I have that, you know, I have got things like that in my mind. But when I understand that the Lord has forgiven me, I don't ever want to forget those things. I don't ever want to forget those things that I did. Never. They say, forgive and forget. I don't, I, no, I don't want to forget the things that I've done. I'd like to forget the things that you've done to me. If I could, if God would be gracious enough to give me that, to not remember the ways that you've hurt me so that I can live more like Christ and be more like Christ, I'd like that. But I don't ever want to forget the things that I've done. Do you know why? Because it is a testament to what God has done for me. If you can think about the things that you've done to other people and you're not that same person anymore, you're a new creation, you're somebody who's new, don't ever forget the things that you've done. Because it's a testament to how good God has been to me. I'm not that way anymore. Do I need that person's forgiveness? No. Would I like reconciliation? Yes. I would like reconciliation for the people that I've hurt that won't forgive me. But you know how I show I'm sorry for it? By praising God that I am not the man who hurt them then. And I will never be the man that hurt them that way again going forward because the Lord has had mercy on me. Because the Lord has had mercy on me. So the next time somebody does something to me and says, Eric, you know, man, I, I said something to you that was really bad. How dare I not forgive that person for what they've done to me? How dare I forgive, not forgive that person? Brother, if you only knew, and sisters, if you only knew what the Lord has forgiven me for, you would know that I have to forgive you. Why? Because it's going to be good for me? No. Because I love, I love Christ. And because I love you. I have nothing to do with this. I have to forgive you. I want to forgive you. It brings pleasure for me to forgive you. Because in that moment, I'm more like the one who bought me. 
The goal is to be Christ-like. I want to look more like Jesus. The best thing for my wife is that I'm more like Jesus Christ. The best thing for me is that my wife is more like Jesus Christ. The best thing for my kids is that I am more like Jesus Christ. And the best thing for me is that my kids are more like Jesus Christ. We all need to be more like Jesus Christ. That's how things go forward. The world in our fallen state, we don't know how to love properly. We don't know how to forgive properly because it's always tied to a sense of self. But when you're bought by Christ and when you are saved and when you are a new creature, it is always for the love of Christ first and my kids second. The love for Christ first and my wife second. Then I'm loving properly. Then I'm forgiving properly. I don't know who needs to hear this today. Like I said, this kind of just popped up uh, at the, at the last minute, but I want, I want you guys, you know, when you, when you have downtime tonight, think about, think about what you haven't forgiven. Think about, and maybe the people aren't even alive anymore that you have a hard time forgiving, forgiving. Maybe some of the people that you have a hard time forgiving are your neighbors here. Maybe some of the people that you have a hard time forgiving are some of the staff that works here. Not David, because David's the man. He's, he's super nice. Nobody, Nobody needs to forgive David for anything. But maybe, just maybe, if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, maybe our eyes are in the wrong place. Maybe instead of looking at me first, maybe I need to look at what Christ has forgiven me for. Maybe I need to love him first and love my neighbor second and not me first. It's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. You know, and this is where I'll end. Christ gives a parable after he teaches the disciples how to pray, after he tells them the Lord's Prayer. And I actually read the verse that comes right before um, where he says that, uh, that if you don't forgive others, then neither the Father shall forgive you. He goes into a parable, and it's about a king. It's about a king who is settling the debts with his slaves. And there is one slave who owes him 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents. Guys, that is an unpayable amount of money. It would be like somebody saying, hey, um, Diana, guess what? You owe the government $50 billion. It's an unpayable amount of money for anybody, right? Maybe not Elon Musk, but everybody else, nobody can pay that amount of money. And the king forgives him. The king forgives him and he says, I've wiped your slate clean. You are forgiven. Go and your debt's been forgiven. This unimaginable amount of money. And the first thing that this slave does is he goes out and he finds the guy that owes him a shekel. He finds a guy that owes him next to nothing, a $5 bill, a $1 bill. And he has this person. He will not forgive this person, will not forgive the debt of this person, and has this person thrown into basically a debtor's prison. And the king gets word of this. And he says, you know, bring, bring that slave back to me. And when he says, I showed you so much kindness and forgave a debt that you could never repay me in 50 lifetimes, you'd never be able to repay the debt. And you want to go and you want to take this man who owes you $5 and you want to hold him accountable for that $5, take him to the dungeon. If we know Christ, brothers and sisters here in this room, if we know Christ, you have been forgiven an unpayable amount. We cannot live our lives in such a way where we do not forgive the other people. If there's anybody in here, and I don't think that there is, but I got to say this just 
just to say it. If there's anybody that doesn't know Christ and you have not forgiven, you have difficulty forgiving other people, seek the one who gives forgiveness. Seek the one who sent his son to die for the sins of a bunch of people that, did, that don't deserve it. When I realize that I'm somebody who's received grace and I don't deserve any of it, then I realize that my neighbor doesn't deserve any grace either, but I'm going to give it to him because the Lord has shown me mercy. That's biblical forgiveness. So if you've experienced that, praise be to the Lord. If you want to receive that, all you got to do is ask him. Understand that, you, that, you've, that you've fallen short. Understand that you are needing the forgiveness and ask the master for forgiveness and he will forgive you. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And all that is made through Jesus Christ. So I love you guys. Thank you for, for this sermon. And I, if you would, I'd like to, I'd like to pray um, as, we, as we leave. Okay? Pray with me.